Hi, and welcome to Mass Murder, a true crime self-care podcast. We're your hostesses with the mostesses, Avery and Nicole, and we're here to tell you about two things, masks and murder, but not necessarily in that order. First, we're going to bring you down a little bit by telling you about pretty much the worst thing ever, murder. Then we're going to bring your spirits up a little bit with a little bit of a self-care session where we try out a new face mask and we'll tell you a little bit about it. And we'll chat. We'll see what's new for the week. But before we dive in, we do want to point out we are not psychologists or statisticians. So please understand we use Google for all of these things. So if you have any notes at the end of it, please let us know. Maskedmurderpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Good plug. (laughs) Okay. So this week we're going to talk about a female angel of mercy, Jane Toppin. Hey, Avery, what's an angel of mercy? I'm glad you asked. An angel of mercy, which is also known as an angel of death, is a type of criminal offender, which is most awfully, most often a serial killer, uh, but that someone is employed as a caregiver and then intentionally harms or kills people that are under that care. Killers are often in a position of power and may decide that the victim would be better off if they no longer suffered from whatever illness they have. This person then uses their medical knowledge to kill victims. In some cases, this behavior escalates to encompass the healthy or those that are easily treated. There are a couple of different types of them. These killers can range between a mercy killer, who is someone that believes their victim is suffering and beyond help, therefore they are you know, saving them. A sadistic killer, someone that uses their position to try to exert their power and control over their helpless victims. Or a malignant hero, where they endanger the victim's life and then proceed to quote-unquote save them. Sometimes even acting like they're going to try to resuscitate the victim when they know their victim's already dead hoping to be seen as selfless with their efforts. Ugh, people. Uh, So a traveler.org article from UVA has indicated that cases of healthcare serial killings has increased since the 1970s. I mean, this could even just be due to more awareness of the issue. Yeah, so true. And as of 2018, the majority of cases, 72% take place in a hospital setting, 20% happen in nursing homes, and 6% happen in patient homes. And before you correct me, I know, 72 plus 20 plus 6 does not equal 100. It actually only equals 98, but we liked around, so we're okay with it. Hey, most stats don't go to 100. If you're trying to be really accurate, there's always that gray area, I'm just going to say. All right, so the 2% is the gray area. <laughs> Maybe they died in transit. Oh, God. <laughs> like, in the ambulance. I mean, yes, there should be other qualifiers, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, on to the story. Uh, let's talk about our killer's childhood. She was born Honora Kelly in Boston in 1857, but she went by Nora. She was the youngest of four girls, and her parents were Bridget and Peter Kelly. They were Irish immigrants. Her mother, sadly, died of tuberculosis when Nora was just a baby. And her father, Peter, was a tailor by trade and was well known as an alcoholic and an eccentric Nicknamed by those who knew him as Kelly the Crack. <laughs> okay, we, you can't not laugh at that. Oh, no, you can't. So <laughs> I've never the, heard of anyone being named the Crack. <laughs> well, it was the 1800s, and the Crack in his nickname is a in, in reference to a crackpot. Um, <laughs> not really implying that he did crack, mostly just implying that he was eccentric a and little a crack, little... A little crack-cray. A little crack-cray, exactly. Got it. So... Kelly the Crack, a.k.a. Peter, would become the source of many local rumors saying that he'd gone insane. The most popular of these rumors was that he was found in his shop 
trying to stitch his own eyelids together. Oh my god, that's the grossest thing I've ever heard. And straight out of a horror film. That, like, your murderous, torturous killer would be doing to you. That or your mouth. Yeah. Well, if you're sewing your eyelids together, you definitely need to go somewhere and seek some professional help. Yes. You probably have a mental illness. Mm -hmm. And, um... Some sources do say that he was confi- confined to an asylum after being found in his shop trying to stitch his own eyelids together. Yeah, fair. Yes. And it should be noted that mental illness in parents can represent a risk for children in the family. Just stick attacking that for later. Um, and then a few years after his wife Bridget's death, Peter took his two youngest children, Delia Josephine, who was eight, and Nora, uh, aged six, to the Boston Female Asylum, which was an orphanage for indigent, I always mess that up, female children, which was founded in 1799. This place uh, pretty much just watched over girls until they were aged 10 and then placed them with quote-unquote respectable families cool. where they would become indentured servants. And Peter surrendered his two youngest daughters never to see them again, and documents from the asylum noted that the two girls were, quote-unquote, rescued from a very miserable home, and that they were most likely abused. But there are no records of Delia and Nora's experiences during their time in the, in the asylum. But in less than two years, in November 1864, Nora was placed as an indentured servant in the home of Mrs. Anne C. Toppin of Lowell, Massachusetts. The family was actually a little embarrassed that she was Irish by background because of the stigma associated with them at the time. So they made up a story about Nora's background uh, being passing her off as an Italian girl whose parents died at sea, which could be the first example of Nora's entire world changing, almost removing her you know person who she was before and replacing her with someone new because she wasn't good enough. Yeah, I mean, at age six, you kind of already... Well, they're placed at age 10. Yeah, she's so 10. at age 10, you... I mean, you know who you are, where you came from, what your background is. Oh, yeah. You're aware. A very good idea of yourself. Yeah. Or at least as much as a 10-year-old can. (laughs) True. Uh, Nora's sister, Delia, remained in the institution for another four years until 1868 when she was placed as a servant in New York at the age of 12. Later, she ended up turning to prostitution and eventually died of alcoholism. But since we're giving updates on Nora's sisters, one of the oldest of the four sisters... Ellen actually ended up joining her father in the asylum after suffering a mental breakdown in her 20s, which, again, pattern of mental illness in the family, Mm -hmm. uh, which 5% of adults experience a mental illness in any one year. In the U.S., almost half of adults will experience a mental illness in their lifetime, which, you know, has to include anxiety all the way up to sociopaths. Yeah, yeah. all the crazy things. So, in the scheme of it, that's why it's got to be so high. But, anyway. Uh, during, or excuse me, half of all mental disorders begin by the age of 14 and three quarters by the age of 24, which probably is why her breakdown was in her 20s. Yeah. Another thing that we should point out is that both Ellen and Peter, their father, suffered from alcoholism, which is another thing that can run in families, so. Delia. Delia? No, it was Ellen. Delia. Delia, prostitution, died to alcoholism. Mental oh, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wrong. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I know, Reeb. I Some, don't, apparently. Sometimes. <laughs> Anywho, getting back to Nora. Yes. Though she was never formally adopted by the Toppins, she took on the surname of her benefactors and eventually became known as Jane Toppin, as we introduced her in the beginning. Which, again, bold move by the family. She was 12. You kind of can't just change a kid's name. They're not a dog. 
so again, changing her identity. Gotta be really hard on a young girl. For sure. Yeah. I can't imagine. The Toppins enrolled Jane, formerly Nora, in school where she excelled and had many friends. But she displayed sociopathic tendencies, telling outrageous lies, such as her father sailed around the world, her sister married an English nobleman, and her brother was decorated at Gettysburg by Abraham Lincoln. So, again, I mean, part of this could have been exacerbated because of the family changing her identity and changing her world. Could have been a form of escapism, or she could have been a real class act liar. Guess we'll never know. We will not. Oh, we should also point out here that we are going to be referring to Nora as Jane from here on out, just to alleviate any confusion. Yes, good point. So, at 18, Jane graduated from Lowell High School. The Toppins freed Jane from her indentured servitude and gave her $50, which is about $1,500 in today's money. Just shy. Yeah. That's definitely enough money to start a new life. Yeah, for how many years of servitude? Thanks, girl. Yeah. I guess she was there for six years, but she actually ended up staying in the household as a servant. When Anne Toppin, her foster mother, passed away, Elizabeth, her foster sister, ended up taking over the household duties continued to treat Jane as a servant, though with more kindness than her mother did. Elizabeth ended up marrying a church deacon, Ormel Brigham, love the name, (laughs) who moved into the Toppin house, but something, some kind of strain or dispute caused Jane to move out of the house that she lived in for 20 years throughout the So then, in the 1880s, at around 1887, I think that would put her at around 33, Mm -hmm. math? Yeah. Uh, Jane signed on as a student nurse at a hospital in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It's there that she earned her nickname, Jolly Jane, for her friendly and outgoing personality. The nicknames in this family. Solid. Uh, Jolly Jane? (laughs) Kelly the Crackpot? (laughs) I'm sorry, Kelly the Crack. Kelly the Crack. (laughs) Oh. Although she did earn the nickname Jolly Jane, there were reports that she probably stole small things from the hospital, that she liked to gossip, and would celebrate the dismissal of students that she didn't like. Many of her fellow students did grow to detest her. At one point, she even lied and said that the Tsar of Russia had offered her a nursing job. Casual. What an <laughs> easy thing to lie about. <laughs> yeah, it just comes up in casual conversation. Oh, you, you got a job at that hospital? Well, guess what? The Tsar of Russia wants yeah, me. Russia wants me. Uh, so... Once again, she excelled in her classwork, but supervisors and colleagues were disturbed by her obsession with autopsies. During her residency, she used her patients as guinea pigs in experiments with morphine and atropine, which, thanks Wikipedia, is a medication that's used to treat certain types of nerve agents and pesticide poisonings, as well as some types of slow heart rate conditions, and is used to just and is used to decrease saliva production during surgery. She would alter the patient's prescribed dosages to see what it did to their nervous systems. Mm. Not cool. Thanks. She would spend a lot of time alone with these patients, making up fake charts and medicating them to drift in and out of consciousness, and would even get into bed with them. Uh, It said that she would also lie in bed with them and hold them close to her as they died. What a sadist. (laughs) Uh, So no one actually knows if any sexual activity went on between Jane and her victims when they were in this state, but she was asked after her arrest, and she answered that she got a sexual thrill from the act of bringing patients near death and then coming back to life and then dying again. So let's just take a second 
this is actually really rare for female serial killers who usually murder for things like material gain and not really for sexual satisfaction. And I don't know, I don't know if you think it, but like, could the act of like lying in bed with them and holding them be seen as like an act of remorse or like regret or sympathy, trying to like comfort them as they die? I think that is the nicest way you could possibly think of that. But I'm going to go with she wanted to be as close to the person as they had, like, the light going out of their eyes. So she could experience someone actually, like, go limp, which, I don't know. So that was more of, like, a desire then. Yeah. Or, or like, being an act of acting as God or, like, ruling over whether or not they live. Which oh, is, I'm sure. I think yeah. pretty much all serial killers want to have some kind of god play, you know, right? Yeah. But um, speaking of these crazy stories, there was a specific story from a patient, Amelia Finney, who had an operation in 1887. She said that Jane gave her a dose of bitter medicine, causing her to lose consciousness. But apparently not good enough because she recalled Jane climbing into bed with her and kissing her all over her face. But something like outside of the room startled her and she stopped. The next morning, Finney decided it had to be a dream. That was too insane. No nurse would ever do that, but 14 years later, when Jane was arrested, Finney realized it was not a dream, and that was a real experience that she had. Can you imagine being so, like, close to being murdered and some, just some random thing happening to, like, save your life, and you just not even realizing it for so many years? Oh, not even on that level. Mm -hmm. Having a memory, even if I thought it was a bad dream of someone, like, taking control of me, and I couldn't do anything about it. Can't move, yeah. No. I, I'm out, nightmare. I can't. So, yes, she was very lucky, but I feel for her to have that memory at yeah. all. Okay. In 1889, Jane was recommended for a position at the prestigious Massachusetts General Hospital. Doctors and their patients said Jane seemed like a highly skilled professional, compassionate, and cheerful. On the outside of the job, though, she guzzled beer, told dirty jokes, gossiped madly, and enjoyed turning her friends against each other which sounds like two personalities to me. I mean, she at least has to be a really good liar. Oh, definitely is at least a good liar. Yeah, to put one face on during the day and be someone else at night. But I guess if that's what you're doing in your free time, like, that's probably your real personality. Yeah. And then there's the question of, like, masculine and feminine traits, right? Guzzling beer, telling dirty jokes, typically a little more masculine. And then you have the feminine side. Gossiping, the, like, psychological warfare of turning your friends against each other. It's, like, very... Like, old man and middle school little kids, but... Middle school. Yeah, middle school girls. (laughs) Yeah, but sociopathic, for sure. She ended up claiming several more victims at this hospital before being fired the following year for recklessly giving out opioids. But you know what she did? Went to work as a private nurse. As you do. That's what you do. Over the next two decades, she was hired by dozens of New England families, caring for the ill and elderly in several states. But few of Jane's patients actually managed to survive her quote-unquote special treatment. So, into that special treatment we dive. In 1889, 70-year-old Mary McClear fell ill on a visit to Cambridge. Her doctor sent Jane Toppin as one of his best nurses to take care of her. Jane poisoned Mary McClear. A month later, she killed a close friend with strychnine. Strychnine? 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 I'm sorry, guys, but... Any nurses out there, send us the proper way to say it. Or Uh, doctors, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyone that just knows how to say things. Um, But so she did this so she could take her job as a dining hall matron, which seems like a bit of an overreaction, but okay. Uh, She did get the job, but not for long. The administration couldn't ignore the complaints of her incompetence and missing money. 
Also, I just want to talk about this real quick. Hmm. She wants to leave her job as a nurse where she does her killing to go work in a dining hall. Okay, so I didn't find any clarification on this. I took it as, like, a side hustle. Mm. Like, something extra she's doing. Because if you're working as a family nurse, it probably ebbs and flows. Uh-huh. I, I envision it as a contractor, but maybe a, maybe you're a retainer. So maybe you're always busy. I'm actually not really sure. Okay. I was just... It just came to me. Yeah. I mean, either way, it seems like a big jump. So I'm not exactly sure why that job was so desirable. But maybe she was just looking for any excuse to kill her friend. Again, her friend. Yeah, yeah. friend. Also, maybe she was planning on putting poison into the food and killing mass amounts of people. Ooh, maybe. I feel like there would have been some kind of reports of that then. Maybe she was trying to learn the ropes first before she started. I don't know. Jane Toppin, conspiracy theories. Start it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Anyway, back back to what you were saying. Sorry. 1895, she befriended an elderly landlord and killed him and his wife in uh, 1897. She later explained that they had just gotten old feeble, fussy, cranky. She uh, apparently actually lived in the house for a while after, pretending like nothing happened. Her colleagues in nursing school remember her saying that there was no use keeping old people alive, which, I mean, if you're trying to cover up your crazy telling your coworkers that you hate old people as a nurse, is insane. Yeah. That also goes back to the whole angel of death thing, like thinking that it's easier for them to be dead than to go on being feeble and Absolutely. weak and living in that horrid state. Sorry, I was doing air quotes. <laughs> Forgot the phone can't see. Um, so, Elizabeth Topham Brigham, Jane's foster sister, often would invite her to come and visit and stay in the house that she grew up in. Jane sometimes took her up on the invitation. In the summer of 1899, Jane was vacationing in Buzzards Bay and decided it was time for some good quality time with her foster sister, Elizabeth, who had been complaining of depression. So Jane decided to invite her down to the Cape. One day she took Elizabeth down to the beach for a picnic of cold corned beef, taffy, and mineral water, which was laced with strychnine. Yeah, the more you say it, strychnine sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, but also that sounds like a disgusting lunch. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, she was Irish, so like, isn't corned beef a thing if you're Irish? I guess, but I don't know, cold corned beef? That's not exactly what I think of, like, what I want to eat on the beach. No, not at all. Uh, so Jane was actually later quoted to have said about her si- her sister Elizabeth, I held her in my arms and watched with delight as she gasped her life out. Cool. Yes. Jane would later insinuate herself into the household of Elizabeth's widower, Ormel Brigham, because she wanted to marry him. Within three days of her arrival, she killed Brigham's housekeeper, 77-year-old Edna Bannister, and she took over from Edna and tried to impress Ormel Brigham with her housekeeping skills. But Brigham made it clear that he didn't want her as a housekeeper or as a wife. So then, Jane, as you do, decided to win his love by poisoning him and then nursing him back to health. Classic. <laughs> so classic. But, unfortunately for her, that didn't work either. So she took the next step. She threatened to claim that he'd gotten her pregnant. A then enraged Ormel Brigham ordered Jane out of his house. Yeah, good for him. Get, get, like, get for away him. from me with all your crazy. Then she took it up a step. Uh-huh. Then she tried to commit suicide with an overdose of morphine, but failed. Ironic, right? Very. I mean, she, she has a little bit of experience with poisoning people. I think she knows how to do it. Yeah, so that's definitely a cry for help. 
And after that, she went to a mental hospital where she went through a period of odd behaviors that included efforts to predict the future through the analysis of dreams. <laughs> Fun facts about Jane. Fun facts. After her release, Jane was hired as a private nurse for the Davis family. Shortly after Jane's hiring, Mrs. Maddie Davis, on July 4th, 1901, presumably died of heart failure. Jane accompanied the body home to Massachusetts for burial. Maddie's father, Captain Alden Davis, retained Jane as the family nurse. Maddie's older sister, Annie Gordon, was so distraught over her sister's death, she turned to Jane for relief. Nurse Toppin was happy to oblige by giving her some injections. On July 29th, Annie passed away. Mr. Davis, Maddie and Annie's father, then had a massive stroke shortly after. He, too, had been receiving medication from Jane. This left one daughter in the family, and on August 19th, Mary Gibbs was pronounced dead. With his wife's entire family wiped out in less than six weeks, Mary Gibbs' husband demanded an autopsy. And Jane did her best to prevent it, even poisoning herself to seek some sympathy, but the Massachusetts State Police suspected foul play and stepped in. The autopsy confirmed that his wife had been poisoned with both morphine and atropine. They also found lethal doses of morphine in the other victims. On October 26, 1901, Jane was arrested for murder. In custody, Jane confessed to 31 murders, naming her victims. But some of her fellow nursing students actually think the final tally was somewhere between 70 and 100 victims. There is no accurate list of the hospital victims that were compiled, and various New England families avoided the scandal by refusing official requests for exhumations and autopsies because they just didn't want to get involved. So we will not know what her final number was. Unfortunately. She claimed that she started her killing spree because a boyfriend dumped her when she was 16. A Lao office worker gave her a promise ring, but then moved to a different city and fell in love with someone else. Jane was quoted saying, if I had been, if I had been a married woman, I would probably not have killed all of those people. I would have had a husband, my children, and my home to take up my mind. Barf. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I believe that. No. Said no one ever. Right. I was just really trying to pretend like she was a nice, peaceful, house-loving woman that, you know, God smited yeah. her and didn't... woman look... scorned. Yeah. No, I Didn't give so. her all the things every woman's supposed to have. Sorry, I've been dumped, but I've also never murdered someone. <laughs> yeah, right? You and everyone else. Anyways... Uh, her case went to trial in the Barnstable County Courthouse and lasted a whole eight hours. During the trial, Jane's lawyer conceded to 11 of the murders, staking his hopes on a plea of insanity. Jane closed the case with her own testimony, telling the court, This is my ambition, to have killed more people, more helpless people, than any man or woman who has ever lived. What? I mean, yeah. Just like, nail in the coffin, just... And yet you String want... her up, lady. And yet you want an insanity plea. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I guess that doesn't say she's not insane, but she's but, definitely not with it. Yeah. So, on June 23rd, the jury deliberated for a whopping 27 minutes, and they found Jane Toppin. Are you ready for it? Mm-hmm. Not guilty, by reason of insanity. And she was committed for life in the Taunton Insane Hospital. Her history of suicide attempts did help win her the insanity plea, and... It's just still so astonishing to me, considering, like, how she closed her case. Well, and I feel like, and, you know, when I watch court cases on TV, they don't like to put uh, the defendant on the stand, because you can incriminate yourself so easily, and mm. that's exactly what she did. Like, yep. by definition, she said, I did this, and I wish I'd done it more. I want to do it more than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. 
and she still didn't get what was it the rope that they did in the early 1900s rope guillotine whatever <laughs> i like guillotine. guillotine i like guillotine better let's say that yeah so soon after the trial one of william randolph hearst's newspapers the new york journal printed what was allegedly jane toppin's confession to her lawyer that she had killed more than 31 people and that she wanted the jury to find her insane so that she could eventually have a chance at being released. Whether or not that was truly her intention is unknown, uh, but it doesn't matter because she did spend the next 40 years confined to the state asylum where she died in August 1938 at age 84. Jane was remembered by her keepers as, quote, a quiet old lady, but the older attendants remembered her smile as she beckoned them into her room saying, quote, Get some morphine, dearie, and we'll go out in the ward. You and I will have a lot of fun seeing them die. End quote. <laughs> She's so creepy. <laughs> so she just continued to want to put people out of their misery or put them down because they were in no fit state to she be alive. She just enjoyed watching people die. Like, that's it. Yeah. I don't care what her excuses are. She just wants people to die. Yeah, no. She deserved the guillotine. She did deserve the guillotine. <laughs> guillotine. Guillotine. Uh, it's an insane story, especially because she lived to be old. 84. E- 84 is a decent age, yeah. Yeah. That's not very common for people that are born in the 1800s. No. Not that. No, not in that no. time. Especially with, you know, a questionable upbringing. You know she ate some, like, lead paint when she was a kid? Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know? She had more things working against her than before, but... Yeah. So, do you want to tell us about our sources before we yes. get to the mask? Let's not forget. All right, so our main sources were Murderpedia, the New England Historical Society.com, FilmDaily.co, Wikipedia, of course, MentalHealthFirstAid.org, um, the AACAP.org, and CrimeTraveler.org. So, it's really all over the map. All over the map. So, that's enough of that. Let's get on with these masks. Yeah. Yeah, that poor looks about right. Agreed. All right, guys. So for this week's face mask, we decided to do something that isn't as pricey as the last few face masks that we've decided to try. This week, we got one that you can pick up at pretty much any local drugstore or convenience store, what have you. Uh, It's Burt's Bees Hydrating Sheet Mask with Watermelon. So this is advertised as an instantly moisturizing and improving skin texture mask. And a little bit about that is watermelon extract is known for being rich in vitamin C and amino acids. It's a source of powerful antioxidants and it's great for sun damaged skin. Hello, summer. Hence the watermelon. Um, It's also said to promote cell regeneration, moisturization, and being good for being used for cleansing and exfoliating okay so i did look this up with or i looked up burt's bees uh as a company because i've used them forever i don't know if you got on the kick in like the end of high school early college I like still use our chapstick almost daily but still i'm just yeah. saying when they blew up mm-hmm. and everyone started buying burt's bees like chapstick mm-hmm. right so I never actually knew the story behind this, so I wanted to look it up and just see how long they've been around. Uh, in my head, it's only been since, like, the early 2000s, but we are very wrong. Um, Burt's Bees actually started 
in the 1980s, which, I mean, I, I know companies take a long time to grow, but I had no idea. It was start by, started by Bert and Roxanne, um, and actually their story is really interesting. So Bert was in, um, his, given na- his given name is not Bert, but um, he went along with it when he was like in high school. Uh, but anyways, he was a Manhattan guy. He wanted to live out in the woods, but didn't. He was a, um, a photographer, I believe. And he was driving along and he saw a hitchhiker who was Roxanne and he picked her up and they just like hit it off. And he started talking about how he was really into, um, like his bees. I don't know if it's like a bee collection. I don't know what you call that, but his beehive. His being a beekeeper yeah maybe yeah Yeah. his hobby of beekeeping um and how he had been saving all of this beeswax for something but he didn't know what and and then she was really into it and together they collaborated and started coming up with like the ideas of what they could use it for which is really cool that's fucking crazy yeah a hitchhiker like that's yeah luckily she wasn't a serial killer (laughs) yeah right Everything everything we would tell you not to do he did like almost billion dollar business all right yeah so why don't we um, go ahead and put these masks on and get into a little bit of self-care? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I love the color of the um, packet. Yeah, so there, it, it's a nice bright packet. It's a single serve. Single serve? <laughs> single single serve. serve. I don't know if that's an actual... I mean, I guess that's true. It has to be for sheet mask, right? You have to enclose it. Yeah. So you just kind of open it up and... Oh my God, it smells fabulous. Find the eye holes. It does. It smells like summer. Oh, I've never done a, like... I want to call it flavored, but a mask that smells like something I want to eat. Oh, it's very sweet smelling. It smells so delicious. It's also very cold on my face. I'm holding this totally the wrong way. That's not how faces go. Yeah, so for these ones, you pretty much just find the eye holes and line it up with your face. Talk about mass murder. Mass murder. So cold, right? So cold. Oh, I dropped it. All right. I think the hardest part of sheet mask is like actually accepting the cold and shoving it onto your face. Yeah, you just have to like, like you said, shove it on. Just like, because it kind of isn't the flattest thing in the world, so you just have to like shape it to your face. Mm -hmm. But the important part to me is. You gotta go down to your neck and get all those delicious juices. The runoff, <laughs> if you will. The, ru- <laughs> the runoff, yeah. yeah. The overflow. Absorb it all into your neck and chin area. Alright, so this is actually probably going to be a relatively quick session tonight because the mask does only say it needs about five minutes to work. You are yeah. not adhered correctly. you got to tilt it. What? Why is your mask not? Got <laughs> a big face. <laughs> it's not sticking to you. Is it because you don't moisturize? <laughs> I moisturize after my shower, <laughs> after my face wash. <laughs> Wait, right after? Did you just wash your face? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what fucking why? You don't moisturize before you put the mask on. <laughs> Lesson to everyone. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, no. It's not what we said Moistur- last time. Well, you moisturize after you do your mask. Mm, it's not what we said last that time. That is exactly what we said last time. No, it's not. It is. Okay. Anywho. Whatever. We'll get over it. 
My mask sticks fine. <laughs> you fucked up. <laughs> no, look, I got it. <laughs> it's not sticking to you at all. <laughs> ah, so good. All right, I'm setting a timer for five minutes. All right, so since it's so short, we thought we would talk about some positive things that have happened to us recently. Mm-hmm. Avery, what's on your positivity agenda? Okay, so this has been my theme for probably all of COVID, but I also am generally a new homeowner, so I have been taking advantage of all my time at home and trying to do some DIY projects in my house, and when I'm doing my DIY projects, I am largely learning a new skill. So, uh, this week, I completed kind of recovering and repainting all of my bar stools in my kitchen. They look so good. We'll upload photos on our Instagram. So much better. Masked Murder Podcast. So, uh, basically, the people that owned the house before us left us all kinds of stuff, and we thought we could repurpose it, and we hoped we could, and some of them were these uh, bar stools. So, we repainted them so they don't look so... I'm going to go with, like, 90s. But anyways, they had this, like, interesting uh, finish to them. But so they are now just gray, and I repainted or recovered them with this really cool fabric, and it really just makes the kitchen look so much happier and so less dated, which I'm obsessed with. But um, my next project is going to be really perfecting the ability to sew uh, with the sewing machine that I got, because I am now a Susie Homemaker, I I didn't know how to do any of this stuff, but I figured sewing was a good skill to have, especially if I was bored, right? Like, what else are you going to do with yourself? So learn something you can use for the rest of your life. Uh, so I'm going to be learning to recover all of the pillows in my kitchen, which uh, we'll see how that goes. I haven't it will there. go beautifully. Yeah, I'm not really sure, but I did hem curtains with it. Which, that was the first time I've ever used a sewing machine. I'd also like to point out, anyone that works at a sewing machine company, there is no YouTube video out there that says, like, hello, this is what a sewing machine is, and this is how it works. Everyone assumes you know the basics. I didn't. It took me, like, four phone calls to figure out why you needed two different thread pieces in the sewing machine. It's just, Hmm. there's a learning curve, and people don't know that... (laughs) You don't know enough, I guess. Um, do you want me to keep talking about home stuff, or do you want to talk about your part? You can talk about home stuff if you want. Let's say home. Or we have a minute 42 left. All right. So, branching off of your cute DIY home projects, um, yeah. I was recently, within the past, like, two days, pre-approved for my first ever home buyer's loan so I'm just really excited to start the whole process of branching out on my own and creating my own space and seeing what that whole process is all about it's stressful it's so worth it though I've already I've already created spreadsheets and I've sent them to a realtor and I'm just you know being a little OCD about it Hey, there's no other way to go through that process. Yeah, I know you would appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do love a good spreadsheet. Yes, it's color-coded. Oh, of course you 
just kicked it up a notch. Yeah, I'm like, oh, this is where I found this. This is where I found this. I also found... There's, <laughs> it's a whole thing. I'll have to show it to you later. But it's... I'm just very excited to finally be able to be living 100% on my own. No roommates. No parents. Oh. No anything. And... No pets until you get one. No pets until I get one. I'm going to get me a big dog that people are scared of because it'll eat I, your I see face. you. I see you with the German Shepherd. Yeah, that's one of my top picks, actually. Or a golden retriever that mm-hmm. failed out of school because he's too friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a thing, guys. Um, oh. A lot of... Oh. Timer is... The timer's going off. off. But I will finish my thought. There are a lot of dogs that fail out of, like bomb school and drug school because they're too friendly and they're up for adoption so just look for them and go find them because everyone needs a forever friend and if it's too friendly like why wouldn't you want that as your forever friend i feel like that's exactly what you're looking for if you're looking for a dog all right we're gonna take these off real quick and then yeah tell you how our face feels well guess what it's gonna take three seconds a peeler off and we're done the cleanest mask ever And so, after you take off your mask, there's still going to be a lot of residue on your face. Make sure you just moisturize that into... Moisturize it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm failing Make sure you just massage it into your face and your neck. Mm, So you get all those benefits. You know, I'm not sure if my mask was extra drippy or not, but do you have more liquid, like, towards the bottom half of your face? Oh, my neck is, half? my neck is very moist right okay. now. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. It's, not just, it's not just you. It's not just you. Um, so if you were to give this mask a grade, what would it be? Wait, what are we doing? One out of ten? A, B? A, B. A, B. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Uh, I would a, B, C, D, E, F. I would do a solid A. It's quick. It's very refreshing. So easy. And I like the smell. Even though I'm not really into sweet smells, I thought it was going to be overwhelming. But it's it's nice. It's a nice little fragrance. I'm also going A. It was quick. It was easy. It smelled good. My face feels super moist. Oh, yeah. No, I feel yeah. very... Hydrated's not the word I'm looking for, but that's also one of the qualities I like in a good mask. So yeah, I'll go with that. definitely feel moisturized regenerated mm-hmm. like yes reinvigorate reinvigorated i didn't say that word but no, but that that's what i was thinking you but i'm glad i sparked me. it yes you inspired me there we go all right well i guess that's all if you guys have any questions concerned if we concerned if you guys have any questions concerned if we fucked anything up don't us tell a- us <laughs> eh, you can shoot us an email yeah just make those out to nicole or know. Avery. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Whoever fucks up, just let us know. It's maskedmurderpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, maskedmurderpodcast. We post pictures of our cases, of our masks. Sometimes we post polls and just stories, fun things, if you will. And Engage with us. We love good content. Yes. And we look forward to talking to you. All right, y'all. That's all for this week. And And watch watch out for yourselves. yourselves.